I'm Derek Kessinger. I'm Quinn Marchman. And this is the first episode we're going to release of this podcast we've been doing for three months and not sharing. Yeah. Um, it's I, a beautiful I think, day in 2019. <laughs> I think we're calling it Scene Setters in Denver Sports. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. In Denver Sports Scene Setters, something. Yeah, well, that's part of the reason why we haven't released anything. We don't have a concrete name yet. We don't have a name. We don't have any music. We don't really know what we're doing. But, but... the content is there <laughs> and the passion. So we've been talking about doing this for, I don't know, two years, a very long time. Yeah. Um, sort of what are your thoughts around why do you want to do a sports podcast? Well, I mean, for me, dude, like the older I get, there are the things that you have to care about. And then there's the things you have the privilege of caring about. And there's, mo- like, there's more things in column A than column B now. And then there's the column C, which is all the things I choose not to give a shit about. Um, and sports, through all the trials and tribulations of being 27 in 2019, um, sports has like, lasted as something that I truly choose to care about and really enjoy. And... I think both of us have very interesting perspectives on like the world and how kind of sports can fit into that as an important piece of like human culture. Well, and I think so we both went to Denver School of the Arts. Yes. Sir. You went for acting and are still a, an actor and I went for singing and don't really sing anymore. <laughs> but we come from this culture like this school there were, it was a small minority of people that actually liked sports. Like it was like 10%. It was a very, it was very different than other high schools. And I actually think that that gives us sort of a perspective on like what sports can actually be because we've been having to try to convince people our whole lives that like (laughs) sports are important and they're not dumb. And like, you can like actually get a lot out of sports. Yeah. I I see it as like, it's an art form Mm -hmm. and some of like the best storytelling. And I think I, I love it the same way that, like, I cry at sad movies. And it's like, as people always say, it's the greatest reality show. Like, mm. you don't know what's going to happen. It's like one of the few things in life that there are very few consequences for what happens in it, but anything could happen. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I always think about, like, the Super Bowl a few years ago where there was a blackout in the middle of the Super Bowl. And it was like, this is the biggest event of the year. And in the middle of the Super Bowl, there's going to be a blackout that completely changes the course of that game. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's not just, oh, wow, this tens of million dollars, hundred million dollar production just had a huge fuck up. But also the small intricacies of how that affects the people on the field. Um, yeah, that was, that was a good Super Bowl. And I think that was like the last controversy free NFL season in terms of like on a political moral scale it, it was like the craziness of like this is like the game itself is the most important thing I feel like right right around then mm-hmm. um I my favorite part of that Super Bowl was that was still when Craig Ferguson had his show and he opened his show by showing himself plugging in his phone at the Superdome and then all the lights <laughs> going off I always think about that. Like, something like that happened and destroyed the entire entire Super Bowl there. Yeah, dude. And that's... And then, like, it was at the Superdome in New Orleans, um, which has this elevated importance in the city of New Orleans because 
it was like the staging ground for the rescue operations in Hurricane Katrina, and then the magical return of the Saints and won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, sports, I mean, there's so many ways that you can get into it. For me, I love, like, the history of stadiums, particularly, like, baseball stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many areas in which you can romanticize it. So, like, I'm not the hugest stats guy. Uh, there's some people who love sports for the numbers aspect. Um, and for me, it is really just all of the storylines. And it, as you put it great, it's like, that doesn't have too much consequence, but anything can happen and it can feel like, whoa, because like, we're sitting talking today after waking up yesterday to some screwy Denver Broncos news. Like, what? Um, and the fact that if you the more sports you follow, the more times you get to have those experiences in the course of a year. Well, and bringing it back to that, so obviously we're recording this right after the Broncos traded for Joe Flacco. That Super Bowl at the Super Dome was the Baltimore Ravens beating the San Francisco 49ers with Kaepernick as their quarterback. Yeah. And so, like, those are the things that really are interesting to us. Like, I have done a lot of sports journalism. I've covered all of the teams, been in all of the locker rooms from time to time, and I'm not doing that right now. And it's sort of a chance for us to reset and really look at what storylines do we care about. We're much less about like trying to predict what's going to happen. Like we'll definitely talk about that, but you won't hear like us like being like, this is gonna be the score of the game. It's more like these are the things that we find interesting in this, and these are the things that we think anyone can get involved in who likes stories, not mm. just sports. Yeah, I think my impetus for doing this is explaining to my girlfriend who loves like Downton Abbey British uh, dramas, how sports is so much like those shows. Yeah. And I think that we'll play with those themes and sort of talk about the way the world works around that and bring in people. Like, we definitely want to have guests at times and try some different things. So this is definitely an experiment that we've been working on for a while. And this is the first time we're going to release some of that, some of that content. Mm-hmm. So stay with us on that journey. So on top of the Nuggets' big victory last night against the Kings, Isaiah Thomas returned to the NBA court first time for the Nuggets. Uh, How do you feel about his performance and sort of where he fits in going forward? Well, yeah, man, to set the scene, Isaiah Thomas has been one of the most interesting secondary storylines in the league in the past several years. In 2016, he put the... Boston Celtics on his 5'8 shoulders and took them deep into the playoffs, nearly beating the LeBron Cavaliers to go to the finals. Uh, It was super emotional. His sister had died. No one expected him to play, but he did, and then he just put on an incredible performance. And, of course, he's the shortest dude in the league, but he has all the heart in the world, was ready to back up the Brinks truck, as he said, like get a new contract with the Celtics. Um, but then he got hurt. He was already hurt going into the series, but with his incredible performance, hurt himself more, lost all that money, uh, the potential to sign a big $100 million contract, was traded to the Cavaliers and then subsequently traded to the Lakers. And because... LeBron was blaming him for how bad the Cavs were doing. Like, he was one of the problems LeBron saw. So he got traded to the Lakers. Oh, because, of course, as mob boss LeBron, he decided to change the entire face of the Cavaliers halfway through the season. Um, 
Then, yeah, Thomas traded to the Lakers. LeBron gets signed by the Lakers, and then Isaiah gets cut. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> so the dude has had a very tumultuous time in the league and ended up with the Nuggets, his former coach from Sacramento, Mike Malone, on a vet minimum prove-it type deal. Um, but he's been hurt this whole season. But has really demonstrated his value as the second, well, the $2 million cheerleader for the Nuggets in that the dude is super vocal. Uh, definitely, for better or for worse, the Napoleon complex um, comes into play. But he's just been hyping up the very young roster of the Nuggets and took the court for the first time, rocking the Nuggets blue yellow and red um or new colors and white and <laughs> a navy and the 12 colors of the nuggets yeah right <laughs> it looks clean it yeah. was awesome to see him um come out and still he's like a media darling in that uh the national press looked at the nuggets kings game that they never would have because of isaiah thomas's 13 minutes how do you think he played I mean, I think, you know, in a limited role, he played pretty well. He hit a couple threes. I saw a couple nice passes. I think he only played 13 minutes. I think he, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into that. The one thing, and I want to get your opinion on this, after the game, they asked how he felt like he fit into the team, and he said he felt like his job was to stand out, not to fit in which was the exact opposite thing that Millsap said last year. Millsap said he felt like he needed to fit into the team. And I was just like, what are your thoughts on like having that kind of personality on this roster that is so much about everybody gets to touch the ball? Well, I mean, I'll first just say what like a basic Instagram quote that is. No, I'm not here to fit in. I'm here to stand out. Um, that plays into the personality that got him into the league uh, for his entire life. He was always discounted because he was, like, too small to play the game, but he carried such a bigger character on the court that um, has gotten him to where he is. So I don't begrudge him for it. Fact is, he only can be so much of a contributor um, with how many guards that we have on the team, how, how much the system plays and even last night he played like a system dude he's not going to be I don't think there's a space for him to be checking up 15 shots per game even when Jokic our new damn near MVP definite all-star even when he's putting up 15 shots in a game you're like okay well he's choosing to take over no one has that expectation of Thomas and it's just there's no way that's going to be allowed of him so I take that quote as that's the personality. That's why you want him on the team. But production-wise, if he can be a 10 points, 5 assists guy for the rest of the season, it really helps a Nuggets team that is really struggling on the offensive end, especially getting threes to fall. Um, Well, and I think the other thing is, I mean, Gary Harris hasn't been healthy most of the year, and so he slots in there nicely. Right now, the Nuggets, like, really have seven guards, and they play two of them as forwards a lot. Like, they have, you know, Murray and Morris, who sort of been playing the point guard. Uh, Craig and 
um, Harris, and Harris hasn't been playing, and then Beasley and Barton, who have been playing the three, mm-hmm. but really should be guards. Um, and so he's that seventh guy right now. I think he can take some of Craig's minutes. Depending, I think he could be a good game situation, like a game where you know you're going to be in a shootout. You put him in there. Yeah. On games where you know Craig is there for the defense, he can play in there. But also, if you can limit Murray and Harris's minutes in some of these back-to-backs or lesser games, like that is a huge benefit for them. Um, and then you have another guy who can go on the court and you can guarantee he'll make a shot, which is good. Like You need more of those guys, especially... like You could see him playing if they played a three-guard and didn't play Barton in like an overtime situation where Barton wasn't shooting well mm-hmm. like that would be a great scenario I feel like where you can like take Barton out for a while when he's not playing well yeah and that's they've at the beginning of the season we were having a discussion about are the is Mike Malone sacrificing offense for defense yeah um, that theory has been pretty thoroughly debunked um in that the nuggets have just been terrible guarding the perimeter three and so you're not losing anything by putting isaiah thomas who's definitely like the largest defensive liability you're not losing anything with him on the court because nobody is playing good defense even in the i didn't get to watch most of the game but in the highlights you just saw the guards just swimming in deep waters trying to stay on their man and close out um, in the corner three. But anywhere on the perimeter, they just... Barton can't do it. Malik Beasley has been one of the best surprises of the last month and a half or so in that the dude is just a baller when it comes to offensive production. But he looks so lost out there on the defensive end. So, yeah, I really like what Thomas has to offer um, situationally still I mean as good of a cheerleader he's been on the bench being able to be that on the court could be really really lethal um, coming out of a much needed all-star break the team will finally be mostly healthy if we can get Gary Harris back into a defensive rhythm that'll take a lot of pressure off the guys are just can't play defense yet even Jamal Murray who he's got the motor he can be a dog on the court he just doesn't have those defensive skills so if we could have Gary Gary Harris be the defensive guard then we have a lot of different tools that can be played with involving Thomas um, and the rest of the guys so basically I don't think either of us think it's that big a deal I don't think it's that big a deal it's not going to change the world um, but there might be one game against, like, uh, who's a team that we don't care about? Like I said, the West has become really a dogfight, um, which is really awesome. But let's like say the Mavericks. There yeah. might be a game where Isaiah Thomas just decides to take over. I'll make the prediction that there's one 30-point game um, in Isaiah Thomas's career with the Nuggets. And I would I'd love to see that happen. Um, in a game where just no one else is able to step up, he'll be that dude. The other thing that I think is so key for them is he now gives them two guys who have playoff experience, him and Millsap. And so when you get into a playoff series, you could see a game where the Nuggets haven't gotten up to the moment where he could come in and really be a stabilizing force that maybe, maybe other guys are better players most of the time, but maybe for the playoffs. 
True. Isaiah gives True. them a way to sort of push through some of those series. Yeah, and the way it's shaping up, dude, it doesn't matter who the Nuggets are going to play in the playoffs, it's going to be a fight because every team, no team looks like they can challenge the Warriors, but every team looks like they can challenge one another. 